Welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host, Zach Griffiths, Senior Investment Grade Strategist, and joining me today are our two senior European insurance analysts, Larissa Nepper and Martina Sedu. Thank you both for joining us. Let's jump right in with our first question, the icebreaker question we've been asking all of our analysts is, if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic credit market or sector-specific data for the rest of the year, what would it be and why? So it would be direction in bank spreads, as insurance spreads tend to track this pretty closely. You know, you can talk about follow my leader syndrome. All right. Bank spreads are the big driver that we're focused on. And so just thinking about the global banking turmoil that we've had, that's played a big role in markets really across the globe. And so taking that backdrop, what's your current sector recommendation for the European insurance sector and why you position that way? We have market perform recommendation on both senior and subordinated bonds. This was upgraded from underperform in December based on strong fundamentals and our view that the wider spreads are reflecting the negative outlook, which we view as priced in. So, of course, we've seen the crisis with Credit Suisse UBS since and the U.S. regional banks, which has impacted insurance spreads. But we are comforted that exposure has been pretty minimal and does not appear to have impacted the sector other than from a sentimental perspective. And so I guess from a fundamental perspective, you see things as strong from a relative value perspective. Maybe we've widened out a little bit too much to start the year here. What would you need to see to change your recommendation? Are you really focused on What's happening in the larger world of of the bank sector? Are there economic catalysts that you'd be focused on? What do you think the hinges are for what could change your recommendation in the future? So the sector is in very good shape from a fundamental perspective. This is driven by strong capitalization. But of course, the insurers are being tempted to return more capital to shareholders. So this is one thing we are monitoring. In continental Europe, we have been focusing on life insurance lapses, although the behavior has not been changing for now. There are some pockets of risks. For example, in France, the clients are opting for some banking products, whereas in Italy, some are opting for to invest in Italian government bonds instead. And also quite a specific risk we are monitoring is in UK linked to the property market. But Larissa, I guess you are better positioned to explain that. Yeah, obviously there have been some concerns or growing concerns about commercial real estate exposure, not just in the UK. Now, the UK insurers and particularly the pension consolidators 
who are essentially monoline companies, they are actively growing what they call their illiquid assets. And these illiquid assets comprise equity release mortgages, also known as lifetime mortgages. And clearly, if you had a sharp drop in house prices, then loan to value ratios could come under strain on those products. They also, you know, are getting more involved in sort of social housing areas. They're getting involved in commercial real estate, as I said, and also renewables. And their argument, certainly for social housing and renewables, is that these are areas of government policy and therefore they're aligning with that. So therefore government policy should provide some sort of support to growth in those particular sectors. But clearly they are exposed further down the line to potential defaults. So it's not necessarily an issue for this current period of economic malaise, but maybe for the next, for a future cycle. So it's an area we're watching. As I say, commercial real estate exposure is, I think, fairly limited. And also house price pressures are there, but given the demand supply dynamics in the UK housing market, it seems pretty unlikely and we're going to see any major drop in that. So, you know, so they're okay for now, but it is an area we are watching as their exposure is growing. I just want to follow up on that, thinking about some of the ructions we've seen in markets over the past six to nine months. We had the issue with gilts in the UK pension sector in October of 2022. Did the insurance industry feel a large impact from that? Is there any overhang from that? I know we have much higher rates across the globe. And so the mark to market hit on these government bond portfolios have certainly been in focus. Is that a big focus really from the relatively risk-free security side of things? Or is that less of a concern just given the diversification of insurance portfolios? Uh, Well, I'll let Martina talk about the European side of things, but I'll talk a little bit about that guilt volatility last year. The This is where actually there is a big issue with the insurance sector is transparency. Basically, you know, the bank, as you know, the Bank of England stepped in to essentially stop some pension companies from going under. But only one or two insurers actually said whether they were exposed or not to these LDI strategies, which were the cause of the concern last autumn. And even then, they didn't really give any numbers. So it's very opaque. And frankly, from an investor confidence point of view, they're not helping themselves, basically. So I think we need to see more transparency from certainly UK companies. But generally, I mean, if you look at the rates moves that we've seen and where government yields have ended up, I mean, most insurers are pretty closely matched in terms of their asset and liabilities. So yes, okay, we've had some very big numbers, unrealised losses and that sort of thing. Yes, it has impacted, but not in a concerning way, um, especially as if we look at the first quarter numbers that have come out this year, there's been quite a lot of bounce back going on. So, Martina, if you want to talk about the European perspective. Yeah, I don't have so much to add on the European peers because I think this issue was quite isolated to the UK. So, I mean, liquidity is definitely not an issue for insurers. As you say, they are very closely matched in terms of assets and liabilities. And the investments are generally of very high quality, where they are focused on investment-grade bonds. So, yeah, I think that's 
what I would say for the European ones. Great. And so thinking about your market perform recommendation, do you think that's consistent with what clients are thinking for the sector? You know, in your conversations, do you think they're either underweight the insurance sector, overweight, or are they kind of right on market weight with you? And sort of what are some of the key things that you're hearing from clients as you discuss the sector with an outlook for the rest of 2023? Yes. So the clients that we speak to seem generally happy with the sector, but obviously they tend to ask about the areas of concern. But we have a feeling that they mainly investing through the new issuance as evidenced by the strong order books we have been seeing. Anything to add on the client positioning front, Larissa, from the conversations that you've had? No, not really. I mean, you know, as Martina said, you know, obviously a number of clients have been sort of asking about hot topics, like obviously the gilt volatility last year and commercial real estate more recently. So, I mean, I get the feeling that most of the clients we talk to are quite happy holders. So I would say that they are in line with our market perform on the sector. Happy holders. I like that term. That's that's a good one. I might have to incorporate that into our reports going forward. And I guess going back, Martina, you mentioned how a lot of activity has been in the primary market. That seems to be where investors like to add risk. From a new issue activity perspective, what have you seen so far this year and what are you expecting over the next six to 12 months as far as issuance, overall supply, maybe key factors that might be driving new deals or factors that might keep issuers on the sidelines? Yes. So, so far we have seen new issues of about 6 billion euros equivalent. So, Comparing to last year's 19.4 billion euro equivalent for the whole year, we seem to be down. Uh, and this is in line with our expectations. Insurers generally issue based on or primarily driven based on refinancing needs. And these are this year lower compared to the prior year. So for the rest of the year, there is 6 billion of first calls remaining and 3 billion in terms of next calls, of course, these are subject to extension risk. So overall for 2023, we expect lower issuance than we have seen last year. And so thinking about what will drive supply, uh, you know, outside of the need to refi, are there any other themes, you know, M&A trying to cash up the balance sheet or conversely are insurers looking to reduce leverage? Are there any themes there that kind of factor into your overall view for issuance this year? Yes. So we have seen M&A going up in the sector, but this is in insurance sector generally funded by using equity or existing resources, given their high capitalization. Also, some insurers such as Aviva and Egon signal that they plan to reduce financial leverage. As I already mentioned, we have seen more share buybacks and returns to shareholders. So this is trend, which is a continuation of last year, and we would expect this to continue also towards the next year. Maybe worth mentioning is that for the grandfathered bonds, which will lose regulatory capital since January 2026, we may see more actions, both in terms of calls and tenders. 
But this is again in line with what we have been already seeing, but this may accelerate this year and going forward. And so are there any key issuers that have near-term maturities or liquidity concerns coming up? Any issuers that you expect to, to come to the market over the next couple of months that, that you're focused on? So as I already said, the new issuance is driven by refinancing needs. And we see that AXA, Allianz and Egon represent more than half of the upcoming calls and maturities. So as Egon signal leveraging, we would expect AXA and Allianz be the main primary issuers. Larissa, did you want to add anything on that? No, I mean, it's, um, it's a very light year in terms of calls. So actually, it's worked out quite well, really, for the European insurers that, you know, the, the banking chaos that we have seen is not too negative for the insurers as they don't actually have much debt to refinance. And we are seeing more extension going on as well in terms of insurers not choosing to call. So that has had very little impact on their bond levels. It's kind of fortunate that it's a difficult year and they don't have a lot to do. I think, Martina, you sort of alluded to this at the outset of our discussion of new issue supply, but what has the receptivity been from clients to to the new issue supply so far this year? It sounds like it's been generally positive, but is there any nuance to that? Any examples of interesting deals you'd want to highlight in the sector? Yes, it did. So the demand is generally strong. We see the books three times or so oversubscribed. So the demand is there. And the deals prices tend to be around 25, 40 bips inside IPTs. So yeah, the demand remains very strong. That's great. And so that seems like a pretty positive aspect, relatively light supply this year. In general, it seems like it should be perhaps a tailwind for spreads. What keeps you up at night when you think about the sector and your market perform recommendation on the sector? So the obvious wildcard for insurers are natural catastrophe exposure. As we have seen last year with Hurricane Ian, which was the second highest on record and caused quite a big losses in the insurance industry. And as insurers have been facing about average natural catastrophes in the last six years, then given the high inflation is pricing risk, but this is generally passed through for the insurers. So they have been addressing it, but of course we are monitoring it. And in live insurers, in addition to lapses, which I have already talked about, there is, we also see pressure on new business volumes. As I said, some clients are opting to switch to alternative products. Now, as insurers are essentially two businesses, kind of insurers and investors, we also monitor market risk, where Credit migration could potentially be an issue as insurers are quite heavily invested in triple B bonds. And we also, in general, we monitor market risk in general. And Larissa already talked about kind of property prices pressure, and there is also a regulatory risk. Great. And so, you know, thinking about the investing environment, it seems like from a broader market backdrop, things have been a little bit more positive to start the year. We've come into the year with 
an overall market weight recommendation for Euro IG. And so we'll be interested to see if that can kind of hang in or if the recession that everyone seemed to be expecting to happen in the first half of this year seems to be more of a second half story. But we've certainly been encouraged by, I'd say, the economic and financial market performance of of European credit broadly. And so are there any less obvious issues that you're focused on for the insurance sector that, that could impact your recommendation or your outlook outside of the ones that you've kind of outlined here already? So interest rates, high interest rates are generally positive for insurers as they will gradually increase their investment incomes. But as this happens, the non-life insurers may be tempted to relax underwriting discipline in terms of pricing. And this may be even more difficult to spot given the high inflation and also given the transition to new accounting rules as European insurers are starting to report under IFRS 17 and IFRS 9 from this year, which is muddying the picture. So obviously, should this happen, this would be negative for operating performance. Talking about interest rates, as I said, uh, I mean, the very positive trend, the high interest rates are positive for insurers. So should the interest rates um, reverse or start decreasing, this would be negative. So that's something we are thinking about. And more specific for insurers, we have seen pricing strongest in generations, which may attract additional capital, as we have seen with Everest 3, who just raised 1.5 billion in equity. So currently, this impact should be limited. But should this become a trend, and should, should the very good pricing attract more capital, lower prices and increasing natural catastrophes, would be negative for insurance profitability. And switching gears a little bit, are there any specific issuers that are currently under pressure or perhaps conversely have, have outperformed that you're focused on? So in terms of the one which we, which we currently have on underperform, I would like to talk about Zurich Insurance. So I see kind of three main reasons why I see them, why I have this recommendation versus their closest comparables, Accent Alliance. So firstly, they have been taking various actions on Backbook, life insurance Backbook, where they have been selling proportions of it, which makes them less sensitive to interest rates, which for life insurers is very positive because the you know given their long-term business, the being less sensitive to interest rates exposes them less to the market movements. Now, secondly, the farmer's business is contributing to earnings by 30-35%, and this remains a big competitive advantage versus peers. And I still I have this view even after the recent quota share insurance to farmers, which they have started from January this year. And third reason is that the, given the strong pricing in the corporate insurance, their majority of corporate business and less retail comparables is again competitive advantage. So this would be on the one which we see more positively. Now on the other side of the spectrum is score, which we have currently on underperform. 
Here we remain defensive on score, even though we do not expect material widening in spreads. The weaker underwriting performance in recent years, despite ongoing management actions, has been reversed by strong first quarter 23 results, which is obviously very positive. Positive is also the target uh, which of the new strategy under the new CEO Thierry Leger, which is focused on generating solvency and economic value. But we remain defensive until we hear the full details of this new strategy, which the company plans to share later in September after it will disclose it in the annual general meeting to the shareholders in May. So that's a great overview of kind of top picks and pans, I think, as far as sort of issuers that you'd highlight from an outperform and underperform recommendation. Is there a best carry trade idea that we could add to the mix or does that kind of cover your key single name sector or single name views going forward? So from my point of view, I would say this kind of covers my view. We have market perform on the other names in my coverage. Larissa, if you wanted to speak about some other names. To be perfectly honest on my names, which, you know, the, the, the UK guys, Lux and Italy, there's no great relative value ideas that really stand out to me. I'm sure there will be, certainly in Italy over time, once we go into the next political crisis, which I'm sure will happen at some point. And uh, Generali is obviously a name there that stands out because it tends to be viewed as a proxy on Italian political risk from what I've been seeing over the years. So, uh, yeah, so no, I mean, nothing really stands out to me at the moment. All right. Well, the last question we've been asking our sector analysts, and it's kind of a fun one. If you had any words of advice for management teams trying to navigate the current economic and financial market environment, what would you tell them? Be transparent and keep investors on side, including credit investors. (laughs) That seems like a great one. I think we could apply that to all management teams at all times. Larissa, do you have anything to add to that or does that kind of cover? I think the same. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time to join us. Martina Seydu and Larissa Nepper, our senior European insurance sector analysts. And with that, I'm your host, Zach Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode. Credit Sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.